Aloha, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Welcome to The Body Show. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but none of what we discuss replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. Have you ever tried to lose a few pounds? You know, everybody says in January they're going to make weight loss their goal, and here we are in September. Have you done it? Well, if you're like most of us, we really have great intentions, and yet when rubber meets the road... It's not our walking shoes or our running shoes that are out there meeting the road, and it's usually not resulting in a whole lot of weight loss results or gains. Actually, it results in the gains, unfortunately, not the losses. But what are some of these techniques and strategies that people can use to really help change this trajectory of trying to make sure that they're keeping their body healthy as much as possible? And how much exercise do you need to kind of counteract those dietary indiscretions you might have had in the morning? Well, today we're going to hear quite a lot from Dr. Peggy Latari. She's a weight management physician at Kaiser Permanente Medical Center, and she's been in medicine for almost three decades. Now I'm aging you. (laughs) That's right. And we're going to talk today about what what are the tips and techniques that we could all use if we want to get in a little bit better shape and want to stop dreaming of chocolate covered donuts, which now I'm dreaming of right about now. So thank you for joining me today on The Body Show. I'm happy to be here. Thanks. Now, let's talk, let's do a little myth busting because, you know, I'll mention some things that people may have heard or people may know about, and you can tell me, yay or nay, this is why it's true, this is why it's false. Okay, so the first thing is your body sets a certain weight and you can never really change that plus or minus about 10%. Well, there is some truth in that. There's something called the, the set point, and um, there's actually some genetics behind it. So depending on your genetics, you may have... The genetics of some people call it the canoe genetics, meaning you got in the canoe and went for thousands of miles and uh, weeks and weeks uh, to get to another island, and you didn't have to eat that much food because you have a slow metabolism, Um, or you survived a famine because there weren't enough potatoes for people to eat. You have the genetics to help you maintain your weight, and so you actually when you want to lose weight, you are working against those genetics, and it's very hard to get off the set point. Not impossible, but hard. And there's other people who can who don't have those same genetics. They wouldn't survive the canoe ride uh, or a famine necessarily, but they are able to lose weight more easily. So you could kind of blame your parents, grandparents, yes. genetic history, <laughs> but reality is that's not going to help you out anyway. That's okay. right. Yeah, so genetics and... and of course, it's not the whole story because um, genetics do change over time, but the genetics don't take change fast enough to see the changes that we've seen in uh, the last um, century or so in terms of um, the the increased incidence of weight problems in, in the United States. So it's not just genetics. Okay, second myth we're going to look at is that if you were to go ahead and go to the gym every day and work out for an hour, you could eat whatever you want. Unfortunately, that's not true for most people. In general, people who are committing to an exercise program do also change the way they eat. But if you don't do anything different with your food, it's very, very hard to exercise off weight. Um, it just all you have to do is look at the calorie counts of some um, high calorie delicious snacks like let's say that chocolate top donut that we talked about that's around 300 400 500 calories for an average person we would have to walk between 60 and 90 minutes on the treadmill to burn just that one um, donut off and so for most of us we don't have the time or the ability to do that kind of exercise that's why you know you put your you put your hands on those like 
heart rate machine things and it tells you or maybe towards the end of your workout it tells you how many calories you burn and you're like there's no way that that's not in like quadruple digits what are you talking about <laughs> and you're like i mean i i kind of I, I ate four french fries that's how many calories i burn biking so that there really is this misconception that sometimes people think they're burning a lot more calories mm-hmm. than in fact they are when they're working out mm-hmm. now does everyone who who tries to do some kind of activity can you change your metabolism meaning is there an age related reason you know often we hear people say oh you're just your metabolism gets slower in your 40s that's what's going on so bottom line is you can't work against it true or false i think that is mostly true that met- metabolism changes are kind of programmed but there is definite room for um, an improvement in your metabolism by changing your per- the percent of um, lean muscle that you have um, it's easier for men than women. They're, they have naturally more lean muscle. But um, for women, um, as women, as we age, we, we lose lean muscle more quickly. And so keeping up our lean muscle mass is important. And it does make you more metabolic, even just sitting anywhere with more muscle. You're burning more calories, demanding more calories from, um, from the, your stores. All right. And the last myth we're going to bust is medications for weight loss aren't safe? Well, there have been many medicines that have been taken off the market because of safety issues, but in general, the medications that we um, that we are currently using today are extremely safe. Um, they are not habit-forming. There is no street value for them. Um, and for, in many cases, they can really help um, counteract some of the natural biology that's working against us to to lose weight um, in the right patient, monitored correctly by your doctor. So one of the things that we talked about briefly before we started was the fact that it seems like it's not fair. Just when you start to work on dieting, the hormone that your stomach produces to say, I'm hungry, goes mm-hmm. up. It sure does. But That's why? Ghrelin. Again, we, we think these are some of the metabolic um, adjustments our bodies make to preserve that set point. So, again, you have the genetics that are telling you we're going to survive a famine. And so if you're trying to eat less, I'm going to just increase your appetite so that you actually want to eat more. And not only that, but um, when you start to lose weight, your metabolism actually goes down. So our metabolism, if you're not exercising anything differently, our appetite hormone goes up and our metabolism goes down with weight loss. Both of those biologic drives are driving our weight back up to where we were before. So your body's sort of saying, hey, we got to get back to where we were. Right. So we're going to change the physiology a little mm-hmm. bit to get there. Right. So what about some of those things you read? You know, you see these pictures on People magazine or you see these different stories of people who had significant transformations in their body. You know, they had the big loser that was on TV for a while. And it was sort of a whole idea of how you can change your life by changing your dietary habits, changing your exercise habits. In some ways, they kind of brought things to an extreme. But how true to reality are some of those stories that you hear about. Right. So um, specifically the big loser, um, those people were actually studied uh, afterwards and they confirmed that they had a significant loss in their metabolic rate um, years later after their participation in that program, which means that they never can eat the same number of calories that they were eating before um, in order to maintain even a higher weight. So so we do know that there is a, a hit to your metabolism when you lose significant weight 
like that. Um, but and it kind of makes sense a little bit. You yeah. know, if you're if you're 300 pounds and you were having a metabolism set that you would eat, let's just you know, make my math easy, mm-hmm. 3,000 calories. Mm-hmm. I know this might not be mathematically accurate, mm-hmm. but if you were eating 3,000 calories to maintain your 300-pound body and you go down to a 200-pound body, it would make sense you can't eat 3,000 calories anymore because right. you would be 300. So maybe you can have 2,000 calories. Mm-hmm. You know, and certainly, again, this is not based on numerical accuracy, mm-hmm. but... But it kind of makes sense it when does. you think about it. It does make sense. And also that your body is no longer carrying around that 100 pounds. So you have a smaller, you need a smaller machine to carry that weight around. And so we, we call that the energy gap, the gap between um, the energy that you used to require to kind of maintain your body at that higher level and the new gap and the only and the new weight. And the only way to close that gap is either to cut back calories or increase the burn of calories. And every time you lose 10 or 20 pounds, you have to reset that energy gap. So it is possible. We we definitely um, have patients that lose, uh, lose weight, but it is something that um, it has to come with behavior change and behavior change is hard for all of us. All right, we're going to talk more about the energy gap, just if you feel you're having one. Right around now, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and you're here in the studio. We're here in the studio, and you're listening to Dr. Peggy Latari and I. She is a weight management expert at Kaiser Permanente. And when we come back, we're going to talk some more about what are some of those tips and tricks that can really help people to manage some of the behavior issues and also figure out ways that they can keep their body healthy by getting their body to a healthier body weight. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, whose contributors help Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk show programming. Mahalo to the St. Andrews Schools, which includes the Priory School for Girls, the Prep for Boys, and Queen Emma Preschool. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. Peggy Latare from Kaiser Permanente. And we're talking a little bit about ways that we can be healthier by maintaining a healthier body weight. Now, some of the complications if you don't maintain a healthy body weight would be things like diabetes, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, arthritis can occur in your joints. You can just even, you know, some studies that have been done recently said that, in fact, people may be depressed. They just may not have Mm -hmm. enough energy to go out and do things they like Mm -hmm. to do because they either don't have the energy and it makes them depressed or they have depression from some of the hormonal activity from some of the fat in their body. So a lot of reasons why we want to keep ourselves at a healthier body weight. But when we talk about some of the ways that people are managing this. You mentioned a few times that it really, it's not just a problem of behavior. It's not just that hey, I eat too many donuts and that's just the way it is. I don't have any willpower. There are some genetic elements to it. There may be some other physiologic elements to it. So when you counsel patients in your office, what are some of the basics that you tell them as far as how they can get themselves motivated to get out there and do some activity or to really change their focus from, I need to go have my sugar hit, it's my post-lunch lull, to finding ways to affect how they feel based on dietary changes. Yeah, that's what makes this area of medicine so interesting because you can come at it from so many directions. Uh, I would say some of the the things that we focus on in our programs are the support. So it's really hard to make big changes like this all by yourself. So 
who who could be your support person? Um, who do you live with, and who else shops and stocks your fridge, and who brings things to work in your office, and how can you kind of garner support around you? Um, the other uh, the other tips that we talk with patients about is how how are you monitoring yourself? I'm not talking about obsessing over every calorie, but just developing a mindfulness around what you're eating. And there's a lot of great apps out there now that people are using um, to just get a sense of what their calorie needs are and also what the calorie content is of some of their favorite foods. And just by doing that, you often realize, wow, like by the time I hit two o'clock in the afternoon, I've kind of already consumed all the calories that I was supposed to have for the day. So it's a chance to kind of think about how do I want to approach that? How could I shift out some foods for other foods that I like just as well, but it has a lower sugar content or a lower fat content or maybe a higher fat content because it's more satisfying. Maybe uh, switch out some of the candies for something like avocado, you know, that makes you feel more more full. And so it's working with people to kind of develop um, the kind of eating that they like. So people often ask, well, what diet should I eat? And the answer after many, many research studies is that you should eat the kind of food that you like, uh, the kind of diet that makes sense to you, Mediterranean, low carb, Atkins, uh, vegan, plant-based, whatever it is. And just you should be eating uh, probably less calories than you were eating before. So how do you know how many calories you need in a day? Well, from a research point of view, there's all kinds of ways to calculate it. But for most of us, we're not ever going to go through one of those research projects. And so I actually recommend for people to to use one of the apps like MyFitnessPal or Lose It. And those apps are designed when you put in your weight and your height and your gender and your age. They're designed to give you an estimate of the calories that you should um, that you would need to maintain your weight and also to lose weight. Um, I tell my patients that I think that's an overestimate of calories for most people. Um, For most people, they actually need to eat fewer calories um, in order to lose weight. I think sometimes I think those apps are calculated on very young, healthy people versus (laughs) some of us that are older or already overweight. So, but it is a great and very easy way to calculate your basic, your basic calorie needs. Well, and I think the apps are probably created by young, healthy people. (laughs) And so they're trying to make us feel happy about ourselves. But in general, you know, you see on these nutrition labels now, if you look in the back of a lot of foods, it says based on an average caloric intake of 2,000 calories a day. So that may be how many calories would maintain your weight where it is. But if you're actually trying to reduce weight, you know, one pound is what? 3,600 calories Mm -hmm. or so. So you need to not eat that many calories over a sustained period of time to actually see weight loss. So what would be an average number of calories? How much is too low? And what do you think a lot of people wind up setting a goal at? Like, is less than 1,000 too low Mm -hmm. for most people? Should they kind of look at 1,200, 1,500 in general? I realize everybody's situation is personalized, but are there any general guidelines? Sure. And so um, generally less than 1,000, I would say, is too low for most people, especially over a sustained period of time. Um, For for a lot of people, um, 
because it's so individual, uh, your metabolism, we recommend that you actually just monitor your calories for a week or two and see what your average is. Be very honest. Put everything in there that you're eating and snacking. And then just take 500 calories off of it. Um, 500 or some people say 750 for men. Um, and just take take that off and see at that point you should have a, you should have a weight loss. Um, and that it's really driven by your muscle mass and your genetics and, and so on. But that's, that's kind of a rule of thumb for people is just take, try to take 500 calories off of what your baseline is. And then if you notice that you hit a plateau. Yep. And How then, would you address yeah, that? Then you probably need to, the next time I would say maybe take two, 250 calories off of that and address that or increase your activity. So even though activity is by itself is generally not a weight loss strategy, it can help you burn more calories and, and help you when you've get, gotten to that plateau and you're already kind of trying to eat as healthy as you can. I mean, not perfect every day, but healthy, healthier than before. Well, and sometimes it just comes down to math. I mean, if you get yourself down to eleven or twelve hundred calories, and you don't want to go below a thousand, mm-hmm. then you have to increase the activity to right. still achieve some kind of a goal that mm-hmm. that it becomes measurable mm-hmm. to the point where you're hitting this point where your body is healthier, and maybe you see your blood pressure go down and cholesterol go down, and a variety of other parameters improve. Now, you mentioned that medications are part of the treatment, and I know I read a recent article that suggested that they feel a lot of physicians are just afraid to prescribe medicine. You know, we feel very easy to do it for high blood pressure and for diabetes and for high cholesterol. I mean, lots of people are given prescriptions for medicines, statins or blood sugar-lowering medicine or blood pressure pills. But when it comes to weight loss pills, there's sort of this fear that, oh, no, what if it becomes something that increases blood pressure or is it safe? Can it become habit-forming? Can you use it long-term? Those are some of the myths that come out with the medications. But part of your program that you work with at Kaiser Medical Center is that you look at the whole entire spectrum. Not everybody's going to go get gastric bypass. Right. That's not indicated for everybody. That's right. But for some people, this may be appropriate. Mm-hmm. And in those situations, there's a whole spectrum of different treatment options. And medications should be part of that. Do you think they should be started earlier? Probably they should. I think um, as physicians, we we have some judgment around people who um, who have obesity as their chronic disease. Um, And I think there's really still some people who don't feel like it really is a disease. It's more of a lack of willpower or just a a lifestyle that's not, you know, not healthy. we, I often challenge my, my colleagues who say, well, I, I think they should try exercising first. And I say, well, if they had diabetes, would you withhold the medication until they prove that they would exercise? And no, of course we wouldn't. We would start them on the medicine and tell them to exercise and encourage them to do that. And, and so a lot of it is um, just holding that um, comparison up to them. And, and then when people start thinking about that, we realize yeah, sometimes we are um, expecting more out of people who have the uh, disease of obesity um, beca- based on our, our own personal judgments, our own personal experiences. 
Um, and as you mentioned, some medications in the past, like the fenfluramine, part of fenfen, which did cause problems and led to heart valve problems. Then um, uh, some of our physicians have long memories and certainly don't want to be doing something that's deleterious or harmful to our patients. Um, at the same time, we all know every single medication, including aspirin and Tylenol, has a side effect. And um, part of our job is to let people know that's that's a possibility, but not withhold a, a treatment that is effective um, because of um, uh, fears that are not really based on the current the current thinking, the current biology. That's an important point. We really have to look at the biology of it. And you wouldn't withhold medications for other conditions. So we need to sort of overcome either that reluctance or that fear or whatever that judgment may be. Hey, this is something that we could partner with and work with you to help really improve your overall health and work on all these other medical conditions. Yes. And just like with diabetes, we we would never say, oh, just take this pill and then you don't have to think about what you eat. That Some people, okay, some might people think do that, that way, but that's not But the that's intention. not the way we think of it. We don't say take this cholesterol medicine and eat all the fried food you want. I mean, you you give the medication. At the same time, we explore, you know, what are your eating patterns? What are your go-to foods? And then what is driving some of that? Because it's not just hunger that's driving it. It's not just an appetite that's driving it. And for some people, it's decades old habits like clean your plate before you leave the table or um, uh, treating emotional feelings like anxiety or or depression or or, um, fear about trauma that happened to them when they were young. So there's a lot of things that drive eating behaviors that we also have to address and help people kind of separate those habits and change those habits to something healthier. All right, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. You're listening to The Body Show. I'm here with Dr. Peggy Latari, and she is a weight management expert at Kaiser Permanente Medical Center. And we are going to go ahead and be right back and talk a little bit about some tips and tricks on what you can do if you find that your behavior needs a little bit of adjustment. What are some simple things that you could do so that you don't get so hungry you're reaching for the chocolate donut that I can't get out of my mind right now? We'll be right back. Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributors PCAT, Pacific Center for Advanced Technology Training, Moyer Financial, and Kaiser Permanente. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here with Dr. Peggy Latari from Kaiser Permanente, and she is a weight management expert, and we are going to talk today a little bit further about what are some of the tips and tricks so that you don't wind up being what I call hungry and angry or hangry and then eating anything that you can find. So let's talk about, you know, logistics. For those people who just don't have time to make themselves a big breakfast, maybe they love sleeping late or they get up too early or they have 10 million things to do in the morning, what's a simple, easy thing they could do so they could feel some kind of satisfying amount of nutrition in the mornings? meal replacement shakes, what can they do? Grab and run. It's a great question because a lot of people just aren't really hungry first thing in the morning um, or they have time issues. Um, so there there are a lot of, of meal replacement type products out on the market now that are very healthy, uh, that are um, that have a high amount of protein, the lowish amount of carbs. And um, it's the protein really, protein and fat are the two nutrients that help us feel full. And so one thing I see a lot of people do is they they eat a lot of carbs first thing in the morning. So that would be like the toast or the 
in the donut or you know something like that and then a, an hour or so later they're really hungry so so either having a replacement like that in your uh, in your fridge uh, like a, a protein shake or you know making before you go to bed at night put some cottage cheese in a bowl with some whatever your favorite food is and put it in a, in a container that you can grab on your way out so using some kind of um, protein based way to start your morning a couple boiled eggs um, if you're eating more plant-based, it could be something, you know, along the lines of um, some kind of a, um, a bean dish, which we don't think of for breakfast, but you could certainly do it. There's, there's all kinds of um, plant-based proteins out there that you can have sausages and other things that you could get your day started with some protein. So start your morning with protein. Even if you're not hungry, don't wait until you're just ravenous. Right. So have something in the morning. Give your body some kind of a fuel to get yourself going. We recommend it within the first couple of hours of being up to try to eat something. Because for some people, the thought of eating in the first half an hour, they just can't do it. <laughs> and so at some point, get yourself some nutrition. Okay, so lunchtime comes around and, you know, everybody goes out to lunch and everybody goes to a local restaurant. What sort of simple things could you have available that you might have to do a little preparation with? But even if you do wind up going to the restaurant, what are you targeting? Are you just looking at the salads? How is it that you can figure out a way to find healthy foods that are easy, that don't require a lot of time, that can help you lunchtime? So at lunchtime, um, a great thing to look for is just anything that adds some vegetables to your to your plate. So even if you're getting a plate lunch, um, if you choose a you know a choice that has broccoli in it, say beef broccoli or uh, mixed vegetables with some kind of protein. Anything that has vegetables in it is going to markedly reduce your um, calories for that meal and also fill you up. And so that's something to think about. Um, and uh, of the protein, so some people try just to eat a salad and that will only stick with you for like 45 minutes or an hour. So even on a salad, which you can get in fast food places now, think about having something on top, tofu or chicken strips or um, shrimp or something that will give you some protein. And then, uh, of course, it's portioned. So uh, we we are um, in, in the midst of a portion explosion. You know, if you look at how things were portioned out when we were growing up versus the way they're portioned now. So it's great that we have mini plates and, and um, some people will just eat half of their meal and come with a Tupperware and take the other half home for lunch tomorrow. Um, so those are kind of some of the behavior things that we talk with people about, kind of being prepared to do some of those changes um, in your life. And then if you eat a smaller meal, you may be hungry before dinner. And so being prepared with um, some a handful of nuts or uh, a small yogurt or a couple of pieces of string cheese, um, a couple of boiled eggs, something like that for a mid-afternoon snack so that you aren't just starving when you get home uh, for dinner and you are tempted to drive through and, and pick up dinner. And so what I hear you saying is that it's really, it's not so much get a bunch of carbohydrates for energy. It's really focus on your vegetables and your protein. Mm -hmm. And if you focus on that, there may be some carbohydrates involved, but that's not going to be making up the majority of your meal. So now you get home and it's dinner time. Now let's just say that you're, okay, let's say you're going to go work out before you go home for dinner. Now you might need some kind of 
workout snack. Should people work out empty stomach or should they try and have some kind of nutrition before they go and do some kind of exercise? And is it healthier to work out after dinner if you're an evening workout person? Or does that really matter? I think that um, what I know about this area is that most people, if you do have a healthy snack in the mid-afternoon, most people have plenty of energy and plenty of mobilized, um, mobilizable, if that's a word, um, energy stores to kind of get through a workout. I think there's a whole kind of industry around energy drinks that you need to kind of boost yourself before you work out, which is mostly sugar and caffeine. Um, So most um, health experts would say that probably isn't really healthy to do that prior to working out. Um, Exercise, timing of exercise is a very individual thing. Um, For some people, exercise um, in the evening is kind of a stimulant, so that maybe makes it harder for them to sleep at night if you exercise too late. Uh, So that's something to keep in mind. But in general, if you can go exercise, go do it, Mm -hmm. whatever time of the day works for you. And then if you are going to have a meal after that, really focus, like you mentioned, a little bit more on the vegetables and the protein, replenish your body. Don't avoid carbs. Mm -hmm. Right. But don't eat so many of them. I think most of us eat way too many refined carbs in our diet. So, yeah, I would say. And then also thinking about how late you eat. So depending on what time you get done with work, there is some evidence that the later we eat, the more of that food we're going to store as fat. All right. So now there's no chocolate donuts. (laughs) It's time to go get some vegetables. It's time to do some exercise. Okay. Well, thank you for sharing your expertise with us today on The Body Show, Dr. Peggy. I appreciate all the advice, and certainly we can all use to eat uh, less refined carbohydrates because why do they taste so darn good? That's right. All right. If you'd like to hear this show again, maybe you want to listen to it as you're doing a walk around the park. You can click on hawaiipublicradio.org. You can also find us on the HPR app. Our engineer is David Chong. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. We will see you next week right here on The Body Show. We'll see you then with vegetables and maybe some protein. Woo!